Democrats in six states head to the primaries today and polling shows Joe Biden might blow Bernie Sanders out of the water within a matter of hours. We will examine the latest data on Joe's chances in November. Then, pundits on all sides attack the president for his response to the flu Manchu outbreak. But a very important group, much more important than the chattering class, thinks President Trump is doing just fine. Finally, a woman asks Slate if she should tell her husband to stop sleeping with his girlfriend to stop coronavirus from spreading to her mother. We will break down this woman's problems and our culture's problems, both biological and social. All that and more. I'm Michael Knowles, and this is The Michael Knowles Show. Big primaries coming up today. We're going to find out maybe who the Democrat nominee is. We've got Michigan, Washington, Missouri, Mississippi, Idaho, North Dakota, and Democrats abroad. Democrats abroad is a state. You know, the left complains about uh, the right wing in this country colluding with foreign entities. They actually have a completely separate primary among the Democrats for Democrats who happen to be living overseas. Uh, we will get to the breakdowns in those states, what it's looking like, and how Bernie Sanders just totally collapsed. First, I've got to thank our friends over at Ashford University. You know, sometimes when you're working, it is really going to help you out to go back to school. Maybe you want to add some skills that you don't have that you need in your career. Maybe you just want to learn something. But it's hard to go back to school when you're working, and that's why I recommend Ashford University. Ashford University's online bachelor's and master's programs allow you to learn at your own pace. You can study wherever you're the most comfortable learning, whether that's sitting at the table at a desk or lying in bed. Ashford University's six-week-long courses allow you to take one course at a time. Being enrolled in one class at Ashford means you're considered a full-time student. The The SAT, GRE, GMAT, other standardized test scores are not required for enrolling at Ashford. Ashford University is fully accredited by the WASC, Senior College and University Commission. Get on the road to earning your degree and making your dream job a reality. Enroll now by going to ashford.edu slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That's ashford.edu slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S, to start your degree today. Ashford.edu slash Knowles. So, Michigan, Washington, Missouri, Mississippi, Idaho, North Dakota, and all those various Democrats living abroad. Right now, the only states that Sanders is projected to win are Washington, also known as Little Wuhan these days, and Democrats abroad, which is not a state. And even there, Bernie is only up by a very small margin. For Democrats abroad, it's about 1.4%, and in Washington, it's about 0.5%. So that could go anyway. How do, the, how do the other polls break down? So the, the key states to look at here are Missouri, uh, Mississippi, and Michigan. According to Data for Progress, Missouri, Missouri right now, in, in, in 2016, Hillary won Missouri by 2,000 votes out of 623,000 votes total cast. So Bernie Sanders could make a huge play here in Missouri, except he's getting blown out of the water. Right now, Joe Biden has 62 points. He's up 30 points on Bernie Sanders, who's down at 32. Then Liz Warren has four, even though she's not in the race anymore. And Gabbard, who is in the race, but the mainstream media don't want to admit that she is, she's down at two. So Biden absolutely crushing it in Missouri right now. How about Mississippi? 
In Mississippi, Hillary did very, very well. Bernie didn't do well, and it looks like the same is going to hold true. Joe Biden up uh, 55 points down in Mississippi, 77 to 22, and Gabbard gets one point. And then Michigan, all important Michigan. Michigan, which may decide the general election in November. In 2016, Bernie beat Hillary in Michigan. So Bernie's certainly going to win in 2020, right? Not according to the Detroit Free Press. Detroit Free Press currently has Joe Biden at 51%. Bernie is all the way down at 27. Then other gets nine and declined to answer the question gets 13. Way up. I mean, Biden is almost double Bernie right now, according to uh, Detroit Free Press. That's not just one poll. Uh, Mitchell Research also shows in Michigan, Biden is at 54%. Bernie is at 33%. So Biden could have a great night. I mean, we were talking about two weeks ago how Bernie was running away with the nomination. We were, they were going to nominate a socialist in 2020. And then we, the conservatives, were just absolutely going to trounce him and win 57 states plus American Samoa, plus the people abroad and plus Greenland. And that doesn't look like it's going to happen now. I mean, Joe Biden really seems to have consolidated. That was the deciding factor. Biden was always at the top of the polls. Then there was a question about his electability. So he dropped very quickly. Then the question about his electability went in his favor in South Carolina. He shot back up very quickly. The electability question is a huge factor. In, in Biden's case, it's the only factor. And it's why you could see huge swings like that in the analysis. So what does this mean for Trump? According to a firehouse optimist poll, Trump does better against Bernie than he does against Biden. Duh. I've been telling you that the whole time. If you're running against a guy who honeymooned in the Soviet Union and who, who says nice things about Fidel Castro, you're probably going to do pretty well in America. You're definitely going to do very well in Florida. What's important to note here though, because what the Democrats keep telling us is, Actually, what some Republicans keep telling us too is, look, when, when you go up against Biden in November, Trump is going to have a really hard time. Uh, Biden's going to win. If the coronavirus tanks the economy, Biden's going to saunter over to the White House. No problem. The polling shows Biden is definitely tougher. However, in a head-to-head matchup, Trump still beats Biden in all the most important states. So the way that the mainstream media, the way that the Democrats are trying to convince you that Biden is going to win and Trump is going to lose is they only show you national elections. National elections don't matter. Popular vote doesn't matter. That's not how we choose the president. What matters are people in those states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Ohio, right? Uh, the, the states that are actually going to determine, Florida, they're going to determine the election. That's where Trump has to be winning. And head to head right now, Trump is winning, even against Joe Biden. And by the way, Joe, it's not like Joe Biden's going to get better throughout this campaign. If anything, day by day, we're seeing Joe Biden fall apart. The guy is absolutely collapsing before our eyes. That might just be because there's a lot of pressure on these campaigns. It might be because they're physically just daunting. They're exhausting. We could now, I think, have a regular segment on this show, which is what jumbled nonsense came out of Joe Biden's mouth today. And we've done it every single day. We have to do it every day because every day there's more to look at. So we got two new entries for today. Uh, yesterday we saw Joe forget his boss's name twice and then his own name once. Today we see that he forgets who controls the House of Representatives. Here he is. 
And I hope, I hope you'll all join us. Together, I think we can win back the House, we're going to keep the House, increase it, and flip the Senate. You talked about that? Yeah. We're going to win back the House, We're except we won back the House already two years ago, but I wasn't paying attention then, and I don't, anyway, I'm getting confused. Look, taken in isolation, any of these little gaffes are easy enough to make. Look, I do it on this show. I confuse Bernie and Biden sometimes. I'll say, Bernie's, oh, I meant to say Biden. Sorry, Biden, I meant to say Bernie, right? Th- these things happen. I, hopefully, I'm not just becoming like, uh, you know, Joe Biden myself. That would, that would not be good at all. But when they happen multiple times a day, every single day to degrees from, you know, you kind of forgot who controls the House of Representatives to you forgot your own name, that is not a good look. And the next gaffe Joe made yesterday really should have Democrats worried. We'll get to that in a second. First, I got to thank our friends over at LifeLock. Speaking of not remembering who you are, identity theft is very scary and you don't want it to happen, especially this time of year during tax season. What do you do? You send all over the internet your name, your social security number, a lot of valuable information about you, right? It gets sent all around. Criminals can steal that information from your devices and sell it on the dark web or use it to commit identity theft. You won't even know it as it's happening. To help prevent this, you need LifeLock, the number one most recognized brand in identity theft protection. LifeLock monitors for uses of your personal info. It alerts you to possible suspicious activity. And if you become a victim of identity theft, a dedicated identity restoration specialist will work to fix it. Join right now. You can save up to 25% off your first year. Just go to lifelock.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. Do it now, especially this time of year. You will not regret it. Lifelock are the people that I trust. Lifelock.com slash Knowles for 25% off. So if, okay, he forgot who controls the House of Representatives. Okay, he forgot his boss's name. Okay, he forgot his own name. In one clip from the same, same speech yesterday, uh, Joe Biden was campaigning with Cory Booker. He seemed to have words just fail him. Like he, he was making sounds, but they were not coherent words. And he went on, this was what was most kind of scary about it. He went on as though he was making sense, but the words didn't mean anything. Here he is. They always say Biden dismisses China. I don't think they dismiss China. But if we invest in ourselves, China will not be, as they say, the little steel China I come from and climb on Delaware, not a patch on our jeans. What? Could anybody, I'm, look, I know people are in the chat box right now and live. Could anybody try to tell me what he just said there? If you look, Cory Booker standing behind him because Cory Booker endorsed Joe Biden yesterday. Cory, when, when, Biden starts to ramble like that. You see his eyes kind of widen up. He goes, what? And then he looks away. He's like looking, he looks down a little bit. He's like, gosh, what the heck did I do? Why? Why? I'm Spartacus. I'm supposed to be the president. So now to add more evidence to the heaping pile that Joe Biden is not fit to become president. Joe Biden is now reportedly asking that he not even stand for the next debate. We'll get into what that means in a second. First, let's take a question from a listener from J.H. Hi, Michael. Do you think Biden might ask Hillary to be his VP? Uh, I don't know. You think Biden's got a death wish? You think that guy's trying to get suicided? All right, sleepy Joe might be slipping, but he's not that dumb. (laughs) What a maniac would do that. Uh, No, I don't think he will, but Hillary's past her prime. 
I don't think she has interest in being VP. She was the Secretary of State. Uh, the, the, only, the only way that uh, she would want to be VP is if she thought there were a good chance of becoming president, which I guess in this presidential field is pretty high. But I think the only man who would ask Hillary to be VP would have a, have a real death wish. <laughs> uh, the seated debate. Look, I'm just reporting rumors here, folks. I don't know. I wasn't on the phone call, but there was a phone call with CNN hosting the next, next debate. It's with the Biden camp and the Bernie camp. The CNN moderators, the CNN executives said that for this debate, instead of standing at a podium like normal people at a presidential debate, let's just have these two men sit in chairs, not even on stools, in chairs. So they're more comfortable. Why? Because they're super duper old, you know, (laughs) they're for, for political standards, they are certainly past their prime. And uh, Bernie Sanders pushed back on this reportedly. So Bernie doesn't want to sit. He wants to stand. He wants to show that he's vigorous, especially after he just had a heart attack. The Biden camp is denying that they asked for a seated debate, but they're also not pushing back on it very much. So it could be a couple things. It could be that the CNN executives just said, look, these two guys cannot possibly stand up this long. One is 77, one is 78. They've been on the campaign trail now forever. One of them just had a heart attack. One of them can't form an English sentence. And so let's just, God, just give them chairs. It's like elder abuse over here. That's one option. Or the other possibility is just that the Biden campaign requested it because they know that the guy is slipping more and more each day. Uh, They're also, by the way, they're both in the most at-risk category for the coronavirus. Maybe you think people are uh, overreacting to coronavirus. Maybe you think people, the media are blowing it out of proportion. Okay. But it is the case that people are self-quarantining right now. My podcast co-host, Senator Ted Cruz is self-quarantining. Number of congressmen are, right? So people are taking it seriously. People are canceling conferences. People are, are doing a whole lot of stuff. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Biden and Bernie campaign start to change their reaction. They are very much at risk here. Uh, This is a big miscalculation on the Democrats' part, though. First, we'll get to a listener response from TB. Pretty sure Biden said kofefe. You know, that's what it was. It's hard to tell. It's one of those words when you read it, it's so obvious. But when you hear a presidential candidate uh, articulating it with his words, that's why I didn't get it. You're right, kofefe. Despite all the negative press, he said Kofefe. So big miscalculation. Um, The Democrats, if they want to show that they're really ready for Trump in November, they should not have these two candidates sitting down. It will look horrible. If they can, they should have these two candidates run a marathon. They should have been running down San Vicente in Los Angeles over the weekend, okay? In times of uncertainty, people want a vigorous president. Think about the uncertainty here. You've got the market tanking. You've got this virus that seems like not the end of the world, but who knows? We don't really know a whole lot about the virus. We'll get to that in a moment. We'll get to Trump's response to it. But in that time of uncertainty, you know who you don't want to be president? A guy who who can't speak or a guy who can't stand or a guy who is frail and elderly. You just don't want it. I mean, you want wise elder statesmanship, sir, but you, you, you want a guy who can actually do the job. But those are the choices. So we saw yesterday, Hillary Clinton is not yet ready to endorse. She's getting ready to go Epstein, Joe Biden. I'm joking. I'm kidding. 
Uh, but she's still not, she's not going to endorse him. Even though she doesn't like Bernie Sanders, she's not willing to put her support behind Joe. The only other holdout here would seem to be Nancy Pelosi. And Nancy Pelosi raises some serious questions about who's going to get this nomination. We'll get to that in one second. First, I got to thank our friends over at Ring. What does Ring do? Ring keeps neighborhoods safer. It gives you protection at every corner and helps you create custom affordable security for your home. Ring's video doorbells let you answer the door and check in on your home anytime, anywhere, whether you're at the office, whether you're in your bedroom, whether you're on a beach somewhere. Ring's full home security systems give you everything you need to protect your family, pets, and property. With Ring's outdoor security cameras, you can check in on every part of your house so you'll never miss a moment. It's really good. You know, I'm on the road a lot and sweet little Lisa is pretty good with a gun, but I like to know that I can be safe. You can receive notifications on your phone, tablet, or PC when people come onto your property. See here and speak to the visitors in real time. Get the special offer right now on the Ring Welcome Kit when you go to ring.com slash Knowles, K-N-O-W-L-E-S. That includes Ring Video Doorbell 2 and Chime Pro. It's all you need to start building custom security for your home today. Ring.com slash Knowles ring.com slash Knowles. Okay. So one person here, other than Hillary, one person who's not willing to endorse Joe just yet, that would be the speaker of the house. One of the leaders of the democratic party, Nancy Pelosi, who said she has, isn't ready to endorse Joe because she usually just wants to vote for a woman. Return the Affordable Care Act. And that's just, you know, we just, so we're going to fight them in, in the Congress, in the country, and in the court of law uh, to preserve all that that means. The lives saved, uh, the, the progress made, and then working together to take the best that any of us has to offer to go down that path. But as no uh, reflection on who I would support for President of the United States, I'll just say, just generally, I'm, I usually always cast my vote for a woman. <laughs> I just do. <laughs> I have that opportunity. Okay. Just generally. By the way, I love, I love how the left gets away with these kind of categorical statements, but the right cannot. I love how women can get away with these categorical statements, but men cannot. I it's always, I guess that's leftism, right? If they didn't have double standards, they'd have no standards at all. Imagine if I came out there and said, Michael, who are you going to support for president? Say, you know, I don't know. I haven't decided yet, but a man definitely a man. I vote for men. I don't, I don't vote for women. I just think men are better at it. And uh, women, they're just not. So I vote for men. And then you'd apply, say, wow, Michael, that's so brave. That's so brave of you. Uh, but of course she gets away with it. Of course it's a double standard. It's kind of silly even to, to complain about it. That's just the way politics goes. The reason that I think Pelosi's line here is interesting is because there are some people in this country who have not given out hope that Hillary Clinton could somehow still win this thing. Now that might become much more difficult after tonight. All right, we got these six states coming up. If Joe Biden really blows it out of the water and looks like he's going to do well in the future states too, then the odds of a brokered convention decrease significantly. If there were a brokered convention, we don't see these very often. You could walk in there and, and Hillary Clinton could be the nominee. Is that likely? No. Could it happen? Yes. Mike Bloomberg could be the nominee for goodness sake. That'd be hilarious. Instead, probably Joe Biden's going to walk away with this, but they're not ready just yet. The whole democratic establishment is coalescing here. 
few holdouts. We'll see if Joe Biden can put that to rest tonight. The, the big question in the election probably will not be the brokered convention and Hillary coming in and abstaining everybody and, and stealing the nomination. Probably a big question, at least for the next couple months, is going to be this Wu flu, this coronavirus. What do we know about it? People are getting a lot of different information about it. I've spoken to friends who are expert in this field who say, really, we need to take this seriously. It's not being blown out of proportion. Pay attention. Take care of yourself. Wash your hands. Uh, I've also heard from people who say, yeah, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it. Calm down. There are some weird features of the Wu flu. So do you know what the average age of uh, Wuhan virus death is? The average age. 80 years old. 80. That's pretty, I mean, that's like, how old do people live? The average life expectancy is, what, 78, I believe. It's a little higher for women, a little bit lower for men. So this seems to be really affecting people who are already in a weakened condition. The other weird thing about it, and it's related to that fact, is kids don't get it. As far as I can tell, there have been no serious cases of the Wuhan virus among children. The kids who have gotten it have shown very, very mild systems. Like this could be a generational disease. This is like revenge of the Zoomers or whatever the generation after the Zoomers is against the boomers. Uh, we don't know very much about it, so I'm not going to pretend that we've got all the answers here. Everything we're seeing shows that other public health crises have been deadlier and deadlier to more people. So I think about the swine flu, which I actually had it, uh, in college. I was quarantined for it. I wasn't able to go out for two weeks. It was a nasty flu, and uh, a lot of people died from it. I think it was at the low end, 12,500, might, might have been as high as 15,000 people in the United States died from swine flu. Uh, around the world, it was 200,000 people died from it. But did we hear a whole lot about that? Not, not really. I mean, that happened under Barack Obama. Did we hear that, you know, this was going to destroy the economy? I guess in those days, during the early Obama days, the economy was already destroyed. But it just didn't seem to be such a big sensation in the mainstream media. If it had been a Republican president, probably it would have been. What about Ebola? You know, Ebola, much, much more deadly. Uh, SARS, you remember SARS? Death rate on SARS was 10%. For people over 60, it was 50 plus percent. Okay, so those were much, much deadlier than this. That's encouraging. Still, we need to be careful. That's, that's all I can give you on the biological or medical front, the public health front, because we just don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. We get new information every day. The political aspect is a little easier to take a look at here, and that, I think, is where a lot of people in the mainstream media are focusing their efforts. So the question is, how's Trump doing? How has the Trump response been? This guy is catching flack from all sides. Everybody is dissatisfied with his response, except for one group, and that one group really matters. So what's he done? He appointed his number two to lead the task force to take care of it, right? He put the vice president of the United States in charge of it. That shows he's taking it seriously. He very early on banned travel from at-risk countries for coronavirus. Good thing, proactive measure. He was called a racist at the time, as he always is, but it was a smart thing to do. Uh, so far in the United States, how many cases do we have? 12,500, like with swine flu? No, it's actually 700 cases so far. How many deaths? 26 deaths. All right. That comparison shows we're doing relatively okay. Now, there is a 
criticism of Trump that he's even mentioning statistics like that. It's the tweets, right? It's always the complaint about the tweets. It's true. President Trump yesterday tweeted out, he said, look, we've only had 22 deaths. Think about that compared to other public health crises. There is a criticism here that the president shouldn't be mentioning those sort of statistics. You know, it, it is, I think, probably unseemly of the president to downplay it like that. You don't want your president to say, whew, we made it out fine, only 26 people dead, right? You want from your president a guy just to seem to be somber and sort of mourning every single death. I get that. I get that. However, the criticism of the chattering class on the administration's response here is not representative of the rest of the country. That's not merely my uninformed opinion. That's not just my intuition. You don't have to take my word for it. We have polling to gauge exactly what people think. And despite what the pundits say on the, on the left and on the right, despite everybody criticizing Trump's response, the voters are not. There is a poll out from Firehouse Optimus. It polls people in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Pennsylvania. So you're talking about three of the most important states in 2020, representative of who's going to decide this election. A majority of likely voters in all three states are, are very or somewhat concerned about a large coronavirus outbreak. You got 56% in Michigan, 56% in Wisconsin, 62.5% in Pennsylvania. So people are very concerned about this here. However, they're not changing their plans. So 79% of people in Michigan, 72.4% of people in Pennsylvania, 81% of people in Wisconsin say that they're not planning to you know, dramatically change their lives for the Wuhan virus. And then most importantly of all, for our political examination, they think Trump is doing a good job. Trump has a net positive approval rating on his handling of coronavirus so far. And it's a, it's a pretty good buffer here. In Michigan, he's got a net 15.6% positive approval rating. In Pennsylvania, it's 11.7%. In Wisconsin, it's 7.5 percentage points. All that's, that's the net. That's how much he's up. That's how much people like the way he's responding to this. Now, if you tuned in to virtually any cable news program, right or left, if you tuned in to the pundits, you would say, oh, he's messing this up. It's terrible. What's he doing? Stop doing it. He's pulling your hair out. Well, guess what? The voters in those key states think he's doing a good job, which is all, all the more impressive because he actually doesn't have a great overall net approval rating. His, his overall net approval rating in Michigan is 2.9 points. In, in Pennsylvania, it's down uh, 4.5 points. And in Wisconsin, it's down 4.5 points. And yet on coronavirus, people think he's doing a good job. So I understand the in-depth analysis, historical precedent, the esoteric reading of the tweets. I get it. People don't like it. They think it's unseemly. When you've got a column in the New York Times or when you've got a cable news show or when you've got a podcast, but for voters on the ground, at least according to the one poll that we've got on it, they think he's doing a good job. We will get into more fake news going around about President Trump because the press are really attacking him now. They've created a new hoax. They've got a new hoax about Trump using the word hoax. It's pretty much like Charlottesville 2.0 when Trump allegedly called Nazis very fine people, even though that never happened. We'll get to that and we'll get to the woman at Slate who's concerned that maybe her husband should stop sleeping with his girlfriend so that her mother doesn't get coronavirus. All that and much more. First, I got to say about Facebook and YouTube. 
Right now, we're offering 25% off all Daily Wire membership plans when you use the coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. It's important that you remember that code, just like it's important that Joe Biden remembers his own name, because we are approaching the end of this offer, and you're going to want to act fast. You get a ton of stuff. Election inside op-eds from Ben, exclusive access to ask questions, you get the, the leftist here's Tumblr, that's going to be very important. 25% off Daily Wire membership for all plans using coupon code NEVERSOCIALIST. Head on over to dailywire.com slash subscribe. And remember, this is the last week that this deal will be available. Might be the last week Bernie's in this race. So act now before it's too late. Dailywire.com slash subscribe. We'll be right back. There is so much fake news going on about Trump right now. It's, it's actually distressing. Whatever legitimate criticisms one could make of his response in the last couple of weeks are, are just getting totally drowned out by all the unfair attacks from the press. How about this one from Daily Mail US? This is the headline. You see it on Twitter. Trump refuses to say if he has been tested for coronavirus and storms out of White House briefing on crisis. Here's what actually happened. Thank you very much. That is the slowest storming out I've ever seen in my life. He is talking to the reporters. He's talking about coronavirus. He then says, okay, thank you very much. And then he very slowly walks out, which is the only way that you could end any sort of press conference. And to the Daily Mail, that's, he refuses to say if he's been tested for Corona. What? And he storms out of the White House briefing on the crisis. They can even include that first part because you hear at the very end as he's walking out the door, you're, have you been tested? Like, he's not at the podium anymore, man. He's not, he's already given it. It's not like he sprinted out. Uh, typical, right? You see him as, oh, well, one, Mississippi, two, Mississippi, three, Mississippi. I mean, hell, hell, what a storm. Now, if Joe Biden were storming out somewhere, it might look like that. But, you know, Joe Biden, or Donald Trump, rather, is a young and vibrant man. So if he wanted to storm, I'm sure he could. That's not even the biggest hoax. The biggest hoax right now being perpetrated by the mainstream media is the hoax about the hoax. Democrats are now accusing President Trump of calling the coronavirus a hoax. You see it. It's all over media. It's all over cable news. It's that he called it a hoax. It never happened. It never, this is the new... Nazis are very fine people at Charlottesville. Hoax. It's the hoax hoax. Uh, it should be obvious that President Trump does not think it's a hoax because President Trump appointed his number two guy to run the prevention and recovery. If it were a hoax, he wouldn't have done that. But here is what President Trump said. Listen for yourself. Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. You know that, right? Coronavirus. They're politicizing it. We did one of the great jobs, you say, how's President Trump doing? They go, oh, not good, not good. <laughs> they have no clue. They don't have any clue. They can't even count their votes in Iowa. They can't even count. <laughs> no, they can't. And this is their new hoax. But, you know, we did something that's been pretty amazing. We're 15 people in this massive country. And because of the fact that we went early, we went early, we could have had a lot more than that. We will do everything in our power to keep the infection and those carrying the infection from 
entering our country. We have no choice. So what's the hoax? You have two options here. Either the hoax that he's referring to is the Democrats' attacks on him for not handling coronavirus well, for, for botching the whole public health crisis, or the hoax is coronavirus. But it's obviously the former. How could the hoax be coronavirus when Trump goes on to brag about what a great job he did stopping coronavirus and how had he not acted as quickly as he had, coronavirus would have spread much more quickly and there would be more deaths. That was the substance of his speech was, man, coronavirus really could have been bad, but luckily I did a very good job at stopping it. And now the Democrats are pushing this hoax. Obviously the hoax is the criticism of his response. You don't need an advanced degree to, to be able to understand that. But the left doesn't care. I mean, they're going to push it. Look, they pushed in Charlottesville. The guy said on the issue of taking statues down and to take away our history, there are very fine people on both sides. Some people want to take, take away history. Some people want to keep history. I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white supremacists who should be condemned totally, right? That, that was in the next paragraph. I guess it was in the same paragraph just a few moments later. And what did the left say? They said that Donald Trump called neo-Nazis very fine people. Never happened. Put that away with the tooth fairy and the Easter bunny, all right? Not real. And so they're doing it here again. Not surprising. Could President Trump speak differently? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I, sure, I guess he could. That's the, that is the criticism of Trump baked into the equation from the beginning. He could talk differently. He doesn't talk nice. He tweets mean, he uses vulgar language, he is very entertaining, and that's sort of unseemly in a president. Yeah, okay, he could talk different. Is President Trump's talking costing people's lives in coronavirus? No. Are the tweets costing people's lives in coronavirus? No. Did Barack Obama get anywhere near this kind of scrutiny for the public health crises that happened under his administration? No. So how's he doing? He's doing fine. Media don't want to admit it, but he's doing, he's doing fine. Speaking of talking crazy, speaking of crazy talk, Slate. Slate Magazine, now they should have a recurring segment on this show too, because they, in their Dear Abby letters, they always have the strangest people write in. And that's not the big story here, okay? The, the letter that they just published was, should I pause my open marriage because of the coronavirus? So it's not that they publish crazy letters. You can always find crazy letters. And by the way, a lot of editors just write the letters themselves. What makes this uh, Slate article so crazy is the terrible advice that Slate gives. So should I pause my open marriage because of the coronavirus? My mother is immunocompromised. You probably could put the question mark up a few lines here and just say, should I pause my open marriage? Question mark. Yes. <laughs> Don't have an open marriage close your marriage. Marriage should be closed. There you go. I solved it. That was like one sentence. You don't even need the whole article. But they make it much more complicated here. The uh, lady writing in, dear had to do it. My husband and I have an open marriage. My mother is immunocompromised. Is it unreasonable to ask my husband not to swap fluids with his girlfriend until the coronavirus blows over? Risky business. Yuck. The response is worse. Dear Risky Business, blah, blah, blah. So far, I've yet to see a public health official weigh in on limiting one's exposure to his girlfriend. To be safe, you could ask your husband to do so. 
Also to be safe, make sure none of you leave the house for any reason whatsoever. Wear gas masks constantly, even in the shower, even to bed, and apply hand sanitizer so often that your skin is never not gleaming with an alcoholic dew. Or you could just live your life and follow basic public health advisories. I suppose mathematically your husband being in close contact with another person does increase his risk of contraction. But unless he and his girlfriend are into public sex, like in the middle of Times Square public, or are handrail licking fetishists, the elevated risk is probably negligible. Swapping fluids seems like a surefire way to pass or contract the virus. But if your mother lives with you, uh, but if you don't need to get to the point of, um, I can't even say that on my show. Uh, yuck, gross. Then here's the money line. I am assuming that you're operating on good faith and not using this public health crisis as a way to drive a wedge between your husband and his girlfriend. If that is what you're doing, please don't. Everyone's got enough drama to deal with as it is. What a pervert. What a jerk. What a creep writes this column. Because you notice in the column, the advice is never, hey, be more traditional. Hey, be more virtuous. Hey, acknowledge and follow the moral order. <laughs> That's not what you get out of the, the columns are always like, yeah, hell yeah, you should be sleeping with his girlfriend and whatever. I mean, people read these things to be titillated. So like, that's fine. I, I understand the purpose of that column, but let's just assume that this is a real person writing in with a real letter. What, what a horrible thing to say to someone, this woman basically saying, Hey, uh, I've got some, I'm a little uncomfortable with my husband sleeping around and cheating on me. Um, so should we maybe tell him to stop that? And the person writing it says, no, what are you crazy? What are you neurotic? What are you possessive? Ah, no. Um, excuse me. We've all got enough to worry about. How dare you tell your husband to stop cheating on his wife? Oh, who are, what's wrong with you? It's a terrible thing to say to somebody. Horrible advice from uh, slate. And it just shows you how, how depraved it all gets. I mean, this, this question at least is, is not even posed in a kind of, I'm jealous that my husband is cheating on me, which any reasonable person would feel. It's posed as, hey, there's a pandemic going on. And uh, I, I don't want my mother who's got a, a frailty to die because my husband wants to sleep around. So can I tell him not to? And, and to be told, no, absolutely not. I also love, this gives you away the whole game on, on the left here, right? The left on one hand is saying, coronavirus is going to be the end of the world. It's all Trump's fault. The economy is going to tank. Everybody's going to die. You've got to take it super duper uber seriously. On the other hand, don't think for even one moment of not slutting it up for a couple days because of the infection. On the one hand, oh no, nothing could be worse. You know, it's Trump is killing us all. On the other hand, uh, yeah, go ahead and swap fluids with anybody you meet on the street. It's no big deal. Stop worrying about it. Gives away the whole game. I mean, they, they've obviously politicized this uh, beyond all measure, but terrible advice. And I wish that woman would write into my show so that I could give her good advice on this. And shockingly, I know this is going to come as a big surprise. The Slate advice column is not the dumbest article on the internet today. It's not the dumbest article on the internet of our times. The dumbest article on the internet, the dumbest series, and I, I haven't talked about it much, but I think the time has come, is the 1619 Project from the New York Times. 
The New York Times is now launching an initiative to convince people that slavery is the essential feature of America. So America begins in 1619 when the first slave comes to the colonies. Not 1620 when the Mayflower lands. Not 1776 when you sign the Declaration of Independence. No, slavery. Now, you couldn't call this project journalism for reasons we'll see in a second. You couldn't call it history. The the only thing you could call it, and this is actually the fairest term I can come up with, is propaganda. It is leftist propaganda decide to push a narrative. And people put out propaganda all the time, especially the New York Times. The reason that they're catching a little bit of flack right now is because actual historians, and not just conservatives, leftist historians too, are criticizing the New York Times, and the Times will not hear that criticism. So Leslie Harris is a history professor at Northwestern University. She's an author. She just wrote a piece in Politico about how she was approached by the, the 1619 Project. She gave her advice. She gave her notes on what the 1619 Project got wrong, and the New York Times completely ignored her. So here's the New York Times claim. Here's one of their stupid claims. Quote, One critical reason that the colonists declared their independence from Britain was because they wanted to protect the institution of slavery in the colonies, which had produced tremendous wealth. At the time, there were growing calls to abolish slavery throughout the British Empire, which would have badly damaged the economies of colonies in both North and South. So that's that's like the one of the far claims they can make is the whole American Revolution, the point of it was to protect slavery. Now, is that true? No. <laughs> this historian, Leslie Harris, writes in Politico, quote, I vigorously disputed the claim. Although slavery was certainly an issue in the American Revolution, the protection of slavery was not one of the main reasons the 13 colonies went to war. The editor followed up with several questions probing the nature of slavery in the colonial era, such as whether enslaved people were allowed to read, could legally marry, could congregate in groups of more than four, and could own, will, or inherit property. The answers to which vary widely depending on the era and the colony. I explained these histories as best I could, with references to specific examples, but never heard back from her about how the information would be used. Despite my advice, the Times published the incorrect statement about the American Revolution anyway in Hannah Jones's introductory essay. So this is the, you're talking about the first essay of 1619. In addition, the paper's characterizations of slavery in early America reflected laws and practices more common in the antebellum era than in colonial times. That is, the description the New York Times is giving of these uh, laws governing slavery were much closer to what you saw right before the Civil War than what you saw during the founding era. They just got the, the timeline completely wrong. She goes on, they did not accurately illustrate the varied experiences of the first generation of enslaved people that arrived in Virginia in 1619. Right. Right. She never heard back. How does the New York Times do this? How do you start a project where you say, we're going to reveal the truth about American history, and then historians from across the political landscape, it's not just Harris, five other academic historians signed a letter claiming, quote, that the 1619 Project got some significant elements of the history wrong, and the Times refuses to correct the errors. How do they get that so dead wrong? because they don't care. They don't care. The people who staff the New York Times are all a bunch of over-credentialed, 
uneducated egotists. Okay. <laughs> they're people who graduated from very fancy schools and they're convinced of their own brilliance, but they don't actually know much of anything. And think about it with regard to the gender issue, right? Let's say I were going to write a devastating critique of gender roles in the history of Western civilization. So I decide out of my own brain, I'm not, I'm not reading anything. I'm not learning anything. I just say, you know, um, one of the big issues with gender roles is there's actually 56 genders. And, you know, for our history, we've pretended there are only two genders, but really there are 56. Well, what would happen then? A biologist could come up to me and say, oh no, actually, Michael, there, there aren't 56 genders. There, there are two. Right? That, because he, he would have some knowledge of this topic and then he would tell that to me. And what would I say if I were a leftist? I would say what the leftists are actually saying right now about that very issue. They would say, nope, sorry, 56, because I said so. It's the same thing here. They know nothing about the history at the New York Times. They know absolutely nothing about the founding era in the 1619 Project. Those writers are abjectly wrong and profoundly ignorant. And yet, they are convinced of their own narrative. They're, they're convinced of the utility of their own narrative, or they just don't give a damn. It's important to remember this. This series is now being taught in school districts in Chicago, Washington, D.C., Buffalo, and New York. What does that mean? It means there's no objective press in this country. There isn't. The Gray Lady, all the news that's fit to print, is publishing fi- historical fiction in its pages. It means there's no objective educational apparatus in this country. In some of our biggest cities, we're teaching this fiction as though it were history. There is no objectivity in those institutions for the transmission of information. The left has known this for a long time. Conservatives have been kidding ourselves. We always say, we say, when will the press report on this? Well, that shows you how ignorant we are, how we don't learn the lesson. We say, when, when's the media going to report on this thing that's damaging to leftists? They're not going to, ever ever, not once. Okay. Get that through your head. Once we accept that, once conservatives realize this is not a level playing field, this is not neutral. There is not an even marketplace of ideas that's that, that we can bandy about in on the pages of the New York times or in our schools. Then, and only then will we begin to win the fight. All right. That's our show. I'm Michael Knowles. This is the Michael Knowles show. I'll see you tomorrow. If you enjoyed this episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review and tell your friends to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, The Andrew Klavan Show, and The Matt Walsh Show. The Michael Knowles Show is produced by Ben Davies and directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, Jeremy Boring. Supervising producers, Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling. Technical producer, Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Widowski. Editor and associate producer, Danny D'Amico. Audio mixer, Robin Fenderson. Hair and makeup, Nika Geneva. Production assistant, Ryan Love. The Michael Knowles Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. If you prefer facts over feelings, aren't offended by the brutal truth, and you can still laugh at the insanity filling our national news cycle, well, tune in to The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get a whole lot of that and much more. See you there. Mm